Devin's waving his hands emoji. What's up, dude? Hello and welcome to episode four of the Restoring Human Podcast. I'm Jarek Bakken. I'm Dr. Alex Aguello. And we are officially brought to you by Great River Family Chiropractic. Nice. Uh, Great River Family Chiropractic is offering a free chiropractic consultation for anybody who mentions hearing this on this podcast. Pretty great, huh? Yeah. I don't know who authorized that. But. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you don't know, that's Alex's practice. Uh, but all you got to do is go to greatriverfamilychiropractic.com slash restoringhuman. Uh, throw your info in there and... They'll get back to you and set up an appointment. Yes, we will. Alex just confirmed it. Week four, guys. Uh, we got Tyler over here again. We got Alex with some new headphones. Yes. Uh, a longer microphone cable. He's not having to be in awkward positions here. Uh, Tyler, I did think about the fact that if you are going to continue to help us out and actually be a part of this, that... <laughs> What was that? I broke something. I'm just joking. Where's your dishes? Oh my gosh. If, you, uh, if you're going to keep helping us out, there's going to be some things that probably are going to have to change about your uh, lifestyle for you to be associated with this brand. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just the contrast. <laughs> anyway, today we are tackling the question, what is human? Yes, we are. Um, but I think before we get into that, let's just take a little bit of time to kind of review, not necessarily do a review of our first three episodes, but I guess just speak to it again a little bit of, you know, kind of why do we even want to teach people what it would be like to restore being human? Um, and I think this has come from just all the reading that I've done, but chronic illness is devastating our planet. It literally the industrialized world, 50% of all people in the industrialized world have a chronic illness. And when you move into the adult population, it goes up to 80% of those people have a chronic illness. And if that was, you know, just something that, that really wasn't affecting them at all, that would be fine maybe. But 80% of all deaths are from chronic illness now. So not only are we getting, but it's definitely what's causing our demise. So to actually look at that and say, well, for thousands and thousands of years, that didn't happen. People used to die from traumas, right? They used to die from starvation. They used to die from wounds that would get infected. They used to die from getting killed by animals, whatever it may be, killed in war. Um, that's why we used to die. But now, thankfully, we've been able to overcome a lot of that. And I guess the way we live now um, has gotten rid of a lot of that. But now we've moved into this age of just what people are dying from is, is chronic illness. And I think if we can do something to help people um, address a lot of that and be able to improve the chances of them not, not only succumbing to a, a, a chronic illness, but never having to deal with any of the effects of a chronic illness, then I think that because we have the knowledge that we have, to give that to people is definitely something we should be doing. We have somewhat of a responsibility. I have a quote from Martin Luther King here. It says, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Mm. So of course he was, you know, he pretty much dedicated his life to a civil rights movement because he's seen an injustice that was happening and he wanted to do everything he can to fight against it. I think if, if we're seeing this happening and people are just becoming more and more sick and suffering and dying early from diseases that all research is showing is preventable. If we have a lot of knowledge on that, um, we should be getting that to the people. So that's what we've tried to do for the past couple of weeks, just kind of um, being really general, I guess, about the, mm -hmm. the knowledge that we have and building it up and hopefully motivating people to listen. But now we're going we're gonna to get into um, maybe not as detailed as we'll get into the future, but now we want to kind of say, okay, we have this knowledge, but what is that knowledge? What does it really mean to, to get back to, to living a human the way humans used to live? And I guess the time that they lived when there wasn't all this chronic disease happening. So that's what we want to kind of do today. 
Yeah, dang. We uh, dove right in real deep there. <laughs> uh, I can keep going if you want. We will. So what we're trying to do is establish this baseline. So we say restoring human. We need to kind of be on level playing ground as far as what humans and just baseline people should be um, capable of and just kind of how the body works. Uh, yeah, and just kind of set that standard and be working out from there, basically. Yeah. Um, so we, I guess we want to try to give an idea of everything that goes into from a lifestyle perspective, everything that goes into actually being a human. Again, maybe we should hit on why that would, would even matter. This chronic illness problem that we just talked about really has been going on since the, the 1900s. Early 1900s is when heart disease started to rise, when cancer started to rise, when diabetes started to rise. And it just continues to rise. And it's actually almost exponentially rose in the last even 20 years. Um, within that same time, we've had um, better technology. We've had more medical testing. We've had better drugs. We've had better surgical procedures. We've had bigger hospitals. We've had smarter doctors. All of that stuff, more research, billions and billions of dollars put into research to figure out how can we get people healthy? How can we prevent this chronic disease epidemic? And it hasn't went, you know, the other direction at all. It just continues to rise and continues to get worse. So what we're saying is maybe we don't need more money put into research on that. Maybe we don't need more people having insurance to pay for that type of care. Maybe we're asking the wrong question yeah. in the beginning and saying, Maybe our whole approach to why people are sick and how do we get them healthy is completely wrong. And that's where this whole restoring human thing comes in. Because again, we're talking about the lifestyle that people used to live in a, in a time when all of these diseases weren't happening, mm -hmm. right? When people were really flourishing and enjoying life and, and living long, healthy lives, unless again, they were eaten by some sort of animal. But that's not happening anymore, right? People aren't eaten by animals anymore. They're succumbing to their lifestyle choices. So if we can kind of get away from, I guess the first thing we have to say is we would reject that sort of model of just treating effects, um, symptoms, signs of, of a bad lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Because we have this understanding that humans, um, just the way they were created, were created actually to be healthy. Yeah. They were created to function well. Um, our definition of health, most people's definition of health is I'm healthy unless I feel bad. I'm healthy unless I have a symptom. So then the healthcare approach, because that's our definition, has been, well, let's not do anything until you feel bad, until you have a symptom or sign. And then let's just try to address that symptom or sign so then you don't have it anymore. So then we get back to our definition of health, which is I feel fine. Mm -hmm. So therefore I'm, I'm healthy. And again, when we look at research, chronic disease just continues to, to skyrocket and get worse and worse. And, and even though people are on lots and lots of medications for their symptoms, people are still dying of heart disease. That's the number one cause of death. People are still dying from cancer. People are still dying from Alzheimer's and things like that. So again, instead of saying, let's just find better drugs, let's just find better treatments, let's say, well, maybe it's a whole understanding of what health actually is and how a body gets healthy. That's the problem. So if we can teach people that, again, that's what we, that's what we want to do. For sure. So I think you kind of flew right over it. So I'll bring us back into essentially what our first point and really our overarching point that's going to inform most everything else is this fact that humans were made to be healthy. And when that's not the case, the human body has this unbelievable potential to heal. Mm -hmm. That is this big overarching idea that is going to inform everything else we're going to say here. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a chiropractor. So from a chiropractic philosophy, um, we believe that there's what's called an innate intelligence in the body. There's something in our body that's, that's not just matter, right? That's not just the tissues that we have. 
There's some sort of an intelligence in their body that's directing, coordinating, controlling everything that happens, right? From a cut that heals on your arm to you walking to you guys listening to me right now to even storing fat on your body. All that comes from just this inborn, this innate intelligence that's in our body um, responding to its environment and then controlling what happens with the body internally. Now, from a scientific perspective, we know for really for over 100 years now, again, this is why we've kind of taken this approach on healthcare, is we believe that it's genes that make us sick, that genes actually determine if we're healthy or not, that they wouldn't necessarily say that there's this intelligence in our body that if we get sick, it can heal. They would say if we get sick, it's because we were genetically programmed for sickness or we have bad cells we have or we're we're so weak that if a germ comes inside of us the germ is going to overcome us and then we're going to we're going to die from some sort of an infection from from that germ and again we're what we're saying is we reject that we know that the body was created to be healthy we know the body is powerful the body is amazing the body has just this awesome ability if it does get infected if it does start to function poorly that it can actually get back to its normal state which in science, it's called homeostasis. If you guys have heard of homeostasis, really all that means is proper cell function that our over 70 trillion cells that we have in our body are all the same, actually. They came from one that came from our mother and our father. It's the same exact DNA code, genetic code that's there, and it's now replicated to get to over 70 trillion of them. But there's something about the body, this intelligence, again, that says, okay, this cell is going to go be a brain cell. This cell is going to be a liver cell. This cell is going to be every cell that we have in our body. So it's not necessarily the genetics that we have that's causing us to be sick. It's the environment that we're actually putting those genes, our cells in, that's leading to sickness or will lead to health, thankfully, which is, again, kind of a scientific perspective on what we're saying. We're saying if we have a health problem, we can get healthy. Well, that's because we're not programmed for sickness, we're programmed for health. So if we start yeah. to move away from what led to our sickness, we will start moving towards health. I, I think, again, that's a very important distinction to make because I think for most people, sickness seems normal. Yeah. And, you know, those statistics you were rattling off about chronic disease, it's like when I get a certain age this is what's going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And that's just accepted. And it's like, okay, like I'm going to deal with this and come what may, this is what life looks like. And fundamentally we just that we don't believe that's how the body works. Right. Right. We, cause we've never been taught it. Right. We're, we're not trained to think that we're, Again, we're trained, like we've, I've said multiple times on this episode and episodes before, that we're, we think we're fine until we have a symptom. Then we have a symptom, we go to see an expert who knows everything about our body. Instead of saying, well, that expert didn't take me from one cell to 70, over 70 trillion cells without any help from any doctors. <laughs> that happened inside the womb with some sort of intelligence that made that happen. We have way more trust in just this expert that's read books and, and studied and, and maybe had some experience with treating people, um, more confidence in that than the actual confidence that's inborn that says, I want to be healthy. I always try to move back towards homeostasis, proper self-function, yeah. but you're not giving me a very good environment to be able to do that. Even though I work hard at it, eventually you stress me so much that bad things are going to happen. Yeah. So basically supporting this, supporting homeostasis, supporting this natural propensity towards health. From my perspective, this is a super easy way for me to break this down. It's a matter of getting the things my body needs and avoiding the things my body doesn't. Right. And so that is basically where we're going with this we've kind of got four major things that uh humans need and the human body is kind of designed to function with these things being daily rhythms and daily things that we interact with and then this kind of big category of 
types of things we need to avoid to promote health. So, anything else before we dive into our kind of four major points here? Well, I mean, again, kind of the overall concept we're trying to say is with the restoring human thing, I don't know what that is. I'm getting some it's, static or something. It's like a cell phone frequency. It's what that is. I think. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's going straight into your ears. That's right. Uh, you know, with the whole restoring human thing, right? Right. We're saying at one point humans were extremely healthy and they lived vibrant lives. They flourished. Um, they were lean, fit, um, had brains functioned well and so we're saying if we could just get closer to that then we would we would do the same right we would flourish because their genes are no different than our genes right it's how those genes are expressed it's what environment we're putting them in um of why that happened so you know we can go that direction which we're kind of trying to do but again this is shown in science it's shown in research that you know, if we're, if we're not living a lifestyle that is congruent with what our genes need to mm -hmm. thrive, we're going to be sick, right? And we could dive into research article after research article and, and show that how it's the environment and, and not the, our genes. But again, we don't, we don't want to complicate things too much. And we probably will get into that some later, but again, just think about it before the 1900s, heart disease wasn't the number one cause of death. Now it is. Cancer wasn't the second leading cause of death. Now it is. There was no signs of autism. Now it's craziness. They're thinking one in two kids by 2040, I think, is going to be autistic. Something had to change. And our genes don't change. So something about environment, something about our lifestyle has changed. And we want to say, how do people used to live? How can we get back to that lifestyle? How can we get back to that environment that they were in? For sure. So what we believe is one of the biggest, if I mean, and it, I think we can say the biggest factor is human body was made to eat real food. Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, so let's talk about kind of, you're talking about something has changed. The typical diet has changed dramatically and not only so we'll talk about a little bit last week we talked about kind of processed food and real food but now today i think we're going to even dive a little deeper into kind of macronutrient balance a little bit and how you know these super processed foods are really heavy in certain things really deficient in other things and has led to just kind of this overall picture that again everything you were just saying has led yeah. to the state we're at. Yeah. Let me real quick, because I'm getting fired up here. Because uh, there might be somebody that's like, ah, okay, that makes sense. But, you know, there's still a lot of things that are genetic, that are hereditary, and, and you just can't do anything about. So I do need some research. I do need some evidence. So let me just read this really quick. This was a study done in 2003. Um, basically what they did is they took these mice called a, a gouty mice, and the reason they use these mice is because they're considered the prize research mice because they have a gene that apparently causes them to get overweight and to get cancer and diabetes and die early. So that's why they want to use these mice because they know they're going to get cancer. They know they're going to get diabetes. They know they're going to be obese. So then now they can try their treatments on them to see if they can get rid of those things. And since they've found these mice, they've put billions and billions and billions of dollars into studying these mice with particular drugs, particular treatments to try to get rid of those, mainly those three things and nothing's really ever worked. But this says the parent mice in the Jertle and Waterland experiment, however, produced a majority of offspring that looked altogether different in this one study that they did in 2003. These young mice were slender and mousy brown. Moreover, they did not display their parents' susceptibility to cancer and diabetes and they lived to a spry old age. The effects of the gouty mice gene had been virtually erased. So a particular set of mice, again, that are genetically programmed for sickness, and when they pass that on, their offspring are genetically programmed for sickness. In this study, none of the offspring were genetically programmed. Well, they were still had that gene, but they didn't end up with cancer, obesity, or diabetes. 
they had none of those sicknesses. So the kind of the genetic code, the genetic outcomes that they expected were virtually erased. Let me give you one guess of what the approach was to doing that. What was the treatment? They changed the diet of the pregnant mice. So these mice ate whatever they wanted, but when they actually got pregnant, they changed their diet and then they produce offspring that didn't have the diseases that thousands and thousands of these mice have before them. It's crazy. So that's the, again, the power of what we're saying. It's not just because we like health, yeah. right? We don't just like lifestyle. Yeah. It's because what research has shown is that regardless of what your genes say, if you start to live a lifestyle that's more congruent with the human lifestyle, that's congruent with the, the genetic code of the human being, you can minimize a lot of these negative effects yeah. that people are having on their health. Where did you want to go with food? Sorry. So we're going to, we're going to pause here. I'm not even positive that we're recording right now. Hopefully we are going to pause here and then we're going to jump back in. We've got four, four, four of these things that were said, we need to get certain things and avoid certain things. Four things we need, one major category of avoidance. That's where we're going. And we're back. Four points. These are things humans do. One major category of things we need to avoid to promote health. First thing, humans eat real food. We kind of touched on this a little bit. Yeah. Um, so again, when we look back at the humans that didn't have all of these diseases happening, um, you can kind of classify them. There was a time when they were just hunting for food. There was a time when they were gathering food as they were traveling. There was a time where they were more stationary. So they did do some gardening, right? But all of that is real food from nature. So again, there's scientific evidence that can show what that does to our genes and how it allows our genes to be expressed for health, gives our cells what they actually need. But again, just a, a common sense says, okay, if they lived like that and they weren't having any of these diseases, then a diet, a nutrition plan, more like that would be the, the way to go, right? So we know that they ate a lot of food that was from animal products, which is high in protein, it's high in fats, um, and very low in carbohydrates. So what I just listed off there are the three, what they call macronutrients. Those are the three main nutrients that our bodies need to function. That's what our cells need. That's what we require to be able to, um, use them for energy to be able to just function throughout the day. Um, so I, probably the biggest change that's happened in our kind of industrialized society is instead of eating a lot of the, the, the good proteins, the good fats, and lower in the carbohydrates, we've kind of turned that upside down. Yep. And we've eating a lot of bad fats, a lot of toxic proteins, and very high in, in carbohydrates. And specifically, um, what they call simple carbohydrates are carbohydrates that just break down immediately in our body um, and can't really be utilized that well for energy because we eat so much of it so it causes a lot of inflammation in our body. It causes a lot of metabolic hormonal issues, which then starts that cascade of leading down to degenerative diseases like heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and all those things. Yeah. So that, I mean, that right there is kind of the gist of it. What, what are some, some of the most practical ways to do that? So uh, we, I always teach people just make a lateral shift, right? Take the fats that you're eating right now and make sure that they're not bad fats they go from good to being or they go from bad to being good and then you increase the number of good fats that you're putting in your body so most of the fats that people are eating come from um, vegetable oil partially hydrogenated hydrogenated vegetable oil so that's your soy oil your vegetable oil your canola oil cottonseed oil all those things that you maybe cook with all those things that are if you're eating processed food there look at the ingredient list like we talked about last week they're full of um, these hydrogenated oils, these um, vegetable oils. So going from that, and then also the, a kind of a bad form of fat is the animal products that they eat, right? Again, we would never say to not eat animal products because that's what the people used to eat that were healthy. 
but we now have kind of mass produced these animal products. So in order to mass produce them, they feed the animals what they're not supposed to be eating. And because of that, these animals suffer and get sick and die sooner than they would. So then they have to give them a bunch of hormones and antibiotics and other medications to keep them alive until they can at least get them to where they slaughter them and then put that food on your, on your plate. So that messes with the fat. So it's now again, a, a bad fat. And there's a lot of other stuff that goes into that, that we could, we could get into. But again, starting with these three macronutrients going from that to a good fat. So now we're, we're still on oils, right? We still want good quality, like a coconut oil or an olive oil. So just switching what you're cooking with from a bad oil to, um, Coconut oil primarily is what we should be cooking with, but a salad dressing, if it has one of those vegetable oils on it, switching from that to um, a good source of, of olive oil is going to be better. Switching your animal products from commercially raised, um, kind of non-organic form yep. of animal products to an organic pasture raised. Animals are fed what they're supposed to be fed. Eating those type of products is going to be good for the, for the fats. Proteins, same thing, right? We, uh, are eating those bad animal products. That's where most people are getting their, their protein from. So again, one, um, I guess perspective on it is because of all the disease that we know is happening with the way we eat is we should just stop eating those things and just move to more plant-based diet. And I would agree that eating more plants is, is good for, mm-hmm. that's what people used to do again, but we don't necessarily have to demonize the animal products as long as we're getting them from a good source. So yep. The proteins that most people are eating are coming from animal products, and those are not only um, we just talked about the fat and how they're they're negative and they're but they're full of chemicals, right? Those antibiotics, those steroids, the pesticides that are sprayed on the feed that those animals are eating, our proteins have become very very toxic, and it's not like the protein that people used to eat. So switching again from that to a a good source of your animal products that's dairy, that's um, meat, of course, that's eggs, all of those things are are going to be good lateral shifts. And then the last one, of course, carbohydrates, switching from the um, high sugar carbohydrates like sugar, refined sugar, um, and just all the processing, you know, the stuff that's added to processed foods is high in sugar. Um, switching from that to not necessarily avoiding carbohydrates, but getting them primary f- right. from vegetables, <laughs> right? We have to be eating our vegetables like most of us, I think we're told our entire life. Um, finding ways to get lots of vegetables in our diet and then, um, lower sugar fruits. Um, that's things like granny Smith apples. That's your berries. Those type of things are very high in nutrition, but they're very low, um, in sugar. So they're not going to cause, and again, not that like a pineapple or a melon or even an orange that are higher in fruit content is, 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 is not a health food, but because of all, because we've gotten so far away, sure from how humans used to live and we have all these metabolic problems now though unfortunately those things can even um cause us from getting back to to proper self-function so um until we can kind of get to a more healthy state we're even trying to minimize some of those things we're eating the lower lower glycemic fruits and we're not eating a ton of fruit every single day you know that's people never did that they found fruit and they they ate it seasonally they ate it um in, in small amounts and they very rarely ate it. So that's the kind of the, what we want to want to be doing. And it's easy, right? Vegetables and meat, good quality animal products, um, and, and lower in the fruits and then things like beans and grains and starches like potatoes and sweet potatoes. We're still trying to, those can be in our diet, but those are on the lower level as opposed to the higher level, like they are in the standard American diet. Yeah. So I think you said it quickly, but this, idea of seasonally eating so i think a point we need to make with all these things is we're in this point in history where we've had all kinds of industrialization happen to the point where we've got all these different ways of living one of those being having refrigerators and also having access to other areas of the world and receiving produce from other areas of the world and so it's not unusual to, you know, go to the grocery store and get whatever type of food you want to get, especially when it comes to produce, any time of the year. And so what are what are some of the side effect negative side effects that have come from that? Because 
don't get me wrong, there's incredible things that have come from the fact that we can refrigerate and store food. Like we can keep meat, we can, you know, freeze things. We like there's so many good things that have happened, but with a lot of this stuff, it's almost we've gone a little too far and we kind of want to pull back a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think one of the big things that's happened is because we now have refrigerators and it can preserve things um, a lot longer than people used to, a lot of those practices that they used to preserve their food yeah. that had a lot of good, um, a positive impact on nutrition. Um, so a lot of people used to have to let things ferment or even sour um, because you know they just they wouldn't eat it right away. So there was a lot of good like bacteria that was on that food that they would still ingest. And again, just because of how we live now, we would say, no way do we want any of that bacteria in our bodies that would potentially cause us to get sick. So we want to refrigerate everything. And then maybe something that would break down that's not refrigerated, we fill it with all these chemicals and we change mm -hmm. the structure of the oils in it to try to make it last longer on the shelf. And that has a negative impact on our health because that's not something our body was intended to ingest. And it causes a bunch of metabolic problems and inflammatory problems, immune system problems, but also it's now negated all those positive benefits from how people used to preserve things. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, I guess the, the other thing is with the seasonal stuff, um, not that again, if you're going to eat something that's out of season, but it's still a real food, that's going to be way better than eating a processed food because processed foods have never been in season. Right. Right. Huh. So, but what happens with our bodies is our, our bodies, you hit on it a little bit, how we're supposed to do things throughout the day. And then when, when it's light out and then when it's dark, that's when we're supposed to sleep. That's called the circadian rhythm. It's what people have identified that as. So that kind of the same thing goes with nature. So our bodies kind of produce the proper enzymes, the proper digestive juices, even the bacteria that's in our gut that allows us to break down a lot of the food, that stuff gets produced in certain seasons. So we're yeah. supposed to be eating stuff in the wintertime. We're supposed to be eating stuff during the summertime. Um, and it kind of goes with what gets um you know harvested during yeah. those particular times again that's kind of you know we don't necessarily have to do that sort of stuff but of course if we're going to get back closer to being um or doing the things that humans used to do that's what we would that's what we would want to do for sure um so yeah there's a, a lot of a benefit in that i think i don't know if i fully answered your question there but some a place that i want to go as well with the food is we eat way too much now too <laughs> So again, these people that were kind of these hunter-gatherer, even gardeners, they would have to wait, obviously, for their food to be harvested, or they would have to wait until they hunted something, killed something, and then they could bring that back. They would have to wait until they gathered something. They didn't have McDonald's on every corner to, that they could go to. They didn't have you know, refrigerators where they could just store food and pantries where they could store food for days. They would eat what they caught, they would eat what they gathered, and then they would they might not have a meal for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And again, that's how our bodies have functioned for thousands of years. But now, one of the ways we've gotten away from that is we eat all the time and we eat a ton of food. And the only, I guess, thing that's been studied is from a nutritional standpoint that's, that's been for sure shown to extend life is calorie restriction. Yeah. Is... When they compare people who eat less calories than people that eat more calories, these people that eat more die way sooner and succumb to these diseases that we're talking about, as opposed to people who restrict their restrict their calories. Now, don't, don't misunderstand that and say we should start restricting our calories because there's a lot of bad stuff that comes on with that. But I'm just saying overall, we have just started eating way more. We eat more often, and we eat more at one time yeah. than people ever ever ate. Quick question from Instagram. Can you talk very briefly about fresh food? I'm assuming this means eating raw compared to cooked foods. Yeah. Um, again, people used to eat stuff right when they pulled it off the tree or pulled it out of the ground. Um, just because there is a lot of um, things that are in the food already that help to break, break it down. So there's what's called these enzymes help us to digest, assimilate, and grab those nutrients from that food. And when we cook things, um, we tend to destroy a lot of that and then it becomes more difficult for us to break it down. But they're also starting to find because a plant really 
um, you know, we believe that the plant was there so that we could eat it. That's obviously what God says. But that all, that plant is also trying to survive and mm-hmm. then reproduce, right? Mm-hmm. So there's some things that the plant has had. Um, again, just like we have this intelligence, plants have this intelligence that says, I know bugs are going to try to come kill me. I know people are going to try to come and, and pick me. So if I want to continue to produce, I have to develop some defenses. So there's a lot of what they call anti-nutrients in plants yeah. that if we don't cook them or if we don't um, like nuts, there's a soaking or a sprouting that, that they call it that can help us break down some of those anti-nutrients. Um, because if we're not, and we're eating those foods, even in the raw state, because of how sick we become and how bad we function digestively, those can cause us a lot of harm as well. So yes, we want to be eating lots of raw foods, but we also want to be um, potentially breaking down some of the foods and we can get into specifics on that at, at some point. But maybe what they're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, is the less fresh a food is, sure, the more nutrient, sure. nutrients it loses. So that's another again, thing with that, the whole transportation thing. Yeah. Yeah, if we grow our food outside and we grab that food and eat it, that's going to have a lot more nutrition. Studies have shown than if we get it from California and it has to travel and it sits on the shelf at a grocery store. Um, I mean, you can even see some of the stuff when you walk into the store and it's pretty much about to die. I mean, it's dead already, obviously, but it looks like it's going to die again, basically. (laughs) So, yeah, good question. Good. All right, we can talk about food for days and we will probably talk about food for the rest of our lives. So, moving on. Point two, humans were made to move. Yep. And we hit on this a little bit last week, but uh, again, we know these people were hunter gatherers. um, So that means they moved a lot, right? They moved, they had to run after things to hunt them. They had to run away from things, maybe potentially that were were hunting them. Um, They had to walk around to gather. They were no, they were what's called nomads. They were moving from one place to another place. So of course they had to move. They never just sat eight hours, you know, again in front of a computer and were were sedentary. Um, So we know just from that sort of evidence, that's how people, um, that's how they interacted with their environment. But again, when we get back to science, our genes require us to move. Our genes, the benefits that we get from movement, um, we know a cell or even the genes inside the cell cannot be healthy, cannot function properly without movement. Primarily one of the things that movement gives us is oxygen. So if you move fast, what, what happens to your breathing? It gets, goes up, right? You start breathing harder. Well, what that's doing is bringing in more oxygen to your body and cells primarily function on oxygen. Every, all the energy that our, our, our cells create primarily comes from the oxygen that we get in our body. So if we're depriving our body from oxygen because we're not moving and we're not moving to an extent where we're breathing hard, then we're just not giving our bodies the the maximum ability to to absorb oxygen and function properly. Yeah. So some big things that have kind of gotten us to the point where we even have to make a point about humans moving. Most of us live sedentary lives. We sit and work at a computer at a desk all day, and we're, again, at this weird time in history where this thing called exercise even exists, like moving around and doing manual labor, exercise and like weightlifting and this type of stuff. Like, yes, it has been around for as like sport for Mm -hmm. a long time, but as far as like the general population taking part in something like exercise, we're in this small window over the course of history where this is even necessary because we have lived lives in a way that is still and we're not meant to be still. Right, right. Um, So yeah, we're kind of trying to make up for what we just don't do you know, inherently in our day-to-day lives, you know, we're not moving, we're not chasing after things, we're not running from things, we're not walking to wherever we need to go. We're constantly being transported where we don't have to move. We're sitting in our desk all day long and then we come home and we sit in front of the TV on the couch. We just sit so much and we don't move. So now we have to say, okay, well, because we were created to move, we have to go and do something that's going yeah. to actually do, do have a positive impact on our cells, on our muscles and on our cardiovascular health, our respiratory health, our brain, all those things are, are benefited from, from exercise. So yeah. that's why exercise is required, right? If you just, again, lived like the humans used to live and did all that stuff, then we wouldn't have to go inside a gym and lift up a barbell, right? 
But they're also showing that because of all of the metabolic issues that we have um, with insulin problems or blood sugar problems, that people with a lot of muscle, people that were lean and don't have a lot of body fat, again, just like the people that used to live in these, in these times that we're talking about, um, that stuff completely goes away. That's the easiest way to eat up insulin resistance or what leads to type 2 diabetes. That's the easiest way to keep your brain healthy. Easiest way to keep good heart health, cardiovascular health, is to have more muscle on your body than there is fat yeah. on your body. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't do that. Did you know, I think it's 31% of people between 18 and 27 would be unfit to make the military right now. Really? They wouldn't even be accepted into the military because they're, they wouldn't be able to pass the test sure. or whatever that sure. is required. Oh, I believe it for sure. 31% of kids that, kids, right? 19 years old, they're young adults. They should be fit and active. Not happening. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but I heard somebody recently say life has essentially become transportation between one chair to another. <laughs> and yeah. That's essentially what life has become. Yep, absolutely. And then not only, you know, we're talking about how it affects our organs, how it affects our brain, how it affects our cells, but also just our joints, our you know, ligaments. When we're in a seated position and we're not moving, those things shorten. They pull away yeah. from the joints. They cause arthritis. They cause lots of pain. Um, and again, then we blame it on genes that were. Yeah. You know. So one of the things I like to tell people in the gym is uh, like the human body, you're supposed to be able to lift your leg up and your knee should come. I think it's like 120 degrees or so. And almost every time I ask somebody to do that and it comes up perfect 90 degrees, the exact seated position yeah <laughs> like we're just glued down and stuck there because that's where we spend all of our time right absolutely absolutely yeah. and then you know that can start to affect other mobilities right so when you have tight hips and they can't do that that affects your spine which then affects your shoulders which mm -hmm. then affects your neck and then people are just um so we i keep talking about the brain um there's this term that's called proprioception basically it's information that your brain gets that knows that your bot what your body's doing and what gives 90 percent of the information to the brain is this proprioception and that proprioception primarily comes from the spine so if your spine is not moving then the brain is not receiving all that and the brain can start to atrophy and you know just yeah. get sick and unhealthy so again just from sitting you're affecting of course what's happening with your pelvis, what's happening with your spine all the way up to your neck. And now none, nothing's moving properly. Right. So not only are you not able to lift your leg above your hip crease, yeah. you're destroying your brain all yeah. the time. So it's nuts. It becomes a huge deal. Point three, humans need sleep. We spoke about this last week. Our days give us a clear indicator that this needs to happen. It's light for a while and it's dark for a while. And many things are extremely difficult to do in the dark. So, hey, real easy tip, go to sleep. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I think <clears throat> this is just common sense, right? People that have tried not sleeping, they're miserable. And, and, and literally die. Like. Yeah. It's, it is not long. I don't know what the exact timeline is, but you cannot go long at all without sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, what science has shown is our, how our genetics work. If we're not getting into a, a state of sleep and we're not resting, then it's just going to lead to sickness. Um, primarily hormonal issues. Again, we talked about the circadian thing already. Uh, they know that hormones get produced at certain times in our body. And, and it's for a good purpose, right? It's, it's for giving us the blood sugar, the right amount of blood sugar so that we have energy to function throughout the day. And then that hormone goes down so that our blood sugar goes down so that we can now get into a sleep. So when people are throwing that off, they throw their hormones off, which leads to a lot of metabolic issues and leads to inflammation, leads to chronic disease. So if we're not sleeping from just a hormonal perspective, there's no way we're going to have a healthy hormone profile. But then also, <clears throat> let's say you are eating healthy and then you're exercising, you're breaking down your tissues and everybody knows that, you know, it's good to eat healthy when you're exercising because you need to replace those tissues. 
Well, primarily that happens when we sleep. So if we're not resting, if we're not sleeping, then we are not healing. We're not rebuilding. We're not repairing. Um, we're, we're in a state of always stressed out, which yeah. has a, a ton of different problems. Yep. And that leads us directly into this fourth point. Sleep is this kind of clear picture that we are really dependent creatures Mm -hmm. Uh, we can't just go and go and go and go. We need something kind of greater than ourselves. And so our last point is fairly nuanced, but what we believe is humans need community. And this is a big statement. So not only do we mean kind of what is face value right there, we are not meant to live in isolation, um, but there's a lot of mental aspects to that relationships and stress and all this stuff we're kind of grouping into this idea that we're not made to be independent creatures yeah i mean i think one of the biggest examples of that um are during war times when there's prisoners of war of course there's all these crazy things that you see on movies how they torture people Mm -hmm. but the the primary way of torturing somebody is just to put them in isolation yeah and to make them think that they're never going to see anybody ever again those people degenerate and die a lot faster and of course are are miserable um but this was the the thing that i i sent you yesterday yeah Yeah, yeah. um if i could get it really quick so again we're talking just kind of general it makes sense should be common sense that people are going to be sick if you're not doing that but this is Um, a study it said the most striking evidence comes from prospective studies of mortality across industrialized nations these studies consistently show that individuals with the lowest level of involvement in social relationships are most likely to die more likely to die than those with greater involvement the risk of death among men and women with the fewest social ties was more than twice as high as risk for adults with the most social ties so it's saying if you're in community and you have good, deep relationships, you're going to live longer than somebody who does not. I think what's important to point out here is I think most people know that relationships aren't necessarily easy. Yeah. And there's there's unique stress that really only comes from being in relationship with people. There's a, There's a unique stress that that would not exist if you were completely isolated. However, like there is also a very, very unique thing that happens within relationships that we think is necessary for life. Yeah. And I mean, from a physiology standpoint, there's a state of what's called growth and repair. That's really where we want to be. And if we're going to be healthy, so I think what you just referenced there is yes, there's a there's a a difficulty with relationships that comes with having deep relationships, but there's also growth that comes out of that, yeah. and that's just kind of in alignment with how the body works. The body wants to be in a state of of, of growth and repair. So mm-hmm. as we get beat down with whatever's going yeah. on, conflicts in the relationship, but then there's a restoration to that relationship, and now the body has growth, the body is repaired, and the body's thriving. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, of course, that we could we could get into there. Yeah. But w- what also I think is powerful is what it does to your emotional state, what it does to your mental state. Um, you know, they can look at studies of, of kids that are whether it's foster homes or orphanages that are just isolated and and don't have, of course, just the love from their families, um, or maybe in a really negative environment. They don't have very much hope. Those kids are are a lot have a lot more health issues than people that are in a a good healthy environment with lots of close, deep loving relationships. So, and again, when we just generalize it and look at those people that we're talking about that ate the way they should, that exercised the way they should, that slept when it was dark, um, they lived in tribes, they lived in community. They weren't on their own. The people that lived on their own, what do you think happened to them? (laughs) They were the people that get ate by by (laughs) the animal problem. Right. Um, so yeah, that again, community is, is definitely powerful yeah real quick before we get into our last point we do have one question here on instagram so the question is what are your tips for better sleep long term 
I'll take a stab at this and then you can fill in everything I don't know about and Do everything it. I missed. So, uh, real practical. Th- so, first baseline, I think. Am I still going here? Yes, I am. So, all of this stuff is going to kind of help each other. So, you're eating better, you're probably going to notice you're going to start sleeping better. You start exercising, you start moving, you're probably going to notice that you need to rest. Like these, this kind of ebb and flow of how the body, like we we're just saying, break down and repair. Like that, a little bit of that is just going to happen naturally. But as far as super, super practical tips, um, one of the worst things is, well, my phone's over there filming this. That's this cell phone culture that we have staring into that light for, you know, the last hour of your day laying in your bed. That's terrible for your sleep. (laughs) The fact that that device is sitting right next to you and constantly dinging for your attention. That's terrible for your sleep. Um, Just light in general uh, has major effects on sleep because again, the body is used to getting that sun to go away. Uh-oh, poor connection. Getting The sun goes away, all that light is gone, and now like we're slowly like down-regulating and getting into this time where we're going to shut off. And so we're really good at this uh, Kelly Starrett, Mobility Wad, check them out if you haven't ever. We're really good at going from zero to 60. We figured that out. We can caffeinate. We can, you know, let's go. But bringing back down, we're pretty terrible at. Yeah. I mean, I think you you pretty much hit on it there. Um, Long term, I guess, is maybe having an understanding of what we're talking about of this kind of circadian rhythm thing. And um, so what you gave was maybe some tips for what you could do like right before you're going to sleep, right? You can get into more of a calm state. You can get into staying away from light, staying away from that are going to trigger or mess up your hormones that allow you to get into sleep. But that can also start during the day. So it kind of depends on what you're doing really throughout the day um, that are going to throw your hormones off. And why I keep talking about hormones is because the reason we get into a sleep is because hormones get produced. So if we're not, if those hormones are balanced, then you're not going to get into this deep sleep. So it's figuring out what is causing your hormones to be off so that when you actually get to the time where you're going to sleep, you can actually get into a yeah. a deep sleep. And and just generally what, what that is, is, is stress. And that's emotional stress, that's chemical stress, that's physical stress. So physical stress would be not moving. Um, chemical stress would be eating processed food, not, not a real food. And emotional stress would be being in a totally negative environment without community and, you know, people yeah. hating you instead of loving you. So yeah. all of those things, again, like you just said, they work together, but yes, you gave some great kind of just practical stuff of when you're about to go to sleep. Um, I guess maybe that wasn't a long-term thing, but short-term thing that oh. you can do to try to get into a, yeah. a deeper sleep. Well, and I think we say, okay, this might be a short-term thing, but I think. Well, yeah, you should long, do it long-term. Long-term <laughs> things are small things practice every day right (laughs) so uh hopefully that's what you're looking for if not comment again or yeah anyway last thing so we've talked about get the things we need we have these four major points eat real food move sleep community now this one big thing of avoiding what we don't need and buzzword whatever avoid toxicity yep so this book that i've been referencing a few times was was written by dr james chestnut and he i don't think he necessarily coined the phrase but he says it a lot he says that all disease um is just starts with a, a poor function of the body and that comes from or an adaptive physiology so the body's trying to adapt to whatever your environment you're putting it into and that comes from toxicity and deficiency So there's no way that our cells could get out of that homeostatic state if we're not putting toxins in our body or we're not depriving it from some sort of nutrient or, you know, something that our body needs. So we just went for the four things really that are, are, we just went through four things that our body needs. So we also have to address the toxicity part. So, um, anything that again, is not necessarily from nature or even if it is from nature and it's in an an excessive amount, Mm -hmm. those things can be toxic to our cells. Now, thankfully 
we have some very powerful detoxification processes that happen in our body. Our body's able to get some toxicity. One of the primary reasons that's the case is because just how our, our cells work and, and utilize even the nutrients we just talked about, there's byproducts of that process. So that's a form of toxicity, but our bodies can eliminate that stuff pretty quickly. But unfortunately, again, in the industrialized nation, we have just been bombarded with so many toxins. Um, let's just talk about, this is from Dr. Sarah Gottfried, who's, who wrote the, 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 um, the hormone diet, I think is what it's called. She said that the average woman puts over 500 chemicals on her body every single day. That's from makeup, that's from hairspray, that's from you know, toothpaste, that's from whatever. That's a lot of chemicals going into the body, right? Um, and then just the processing of foods, um, you know, just the thousands and thousands of food additives and food colorings and artificial sweeteners, um, MSG, the bad oils can be a form of a toxin, sugar can be a toxin. All of these things are just building up. And uh, like we said, if our bodies want to function normally, we have to avoid I don't think we can avoid it, actually. Minimize the amount yeah. of toxicity that we're putting in our body. Because, again, you look at those people, we keep going back to them. They, didn't, they weren't exposed to so much of this stuff. But now, even in the, in the kind of the, the civilizations that live a similar lifestyle, those people, because you would think they totally live natural. They're you know, out in the land. They don't, they're not around a, a building ever, at all. They don't put soap on their body. They don't use makeup. You can look in their blood and still find all kind of crazy chemicals because it's just been in our environment. It's in the right. ocean. It's everywhere. Right. Right. So we will definitely dive into a lot of different super, super practical ways to do these things um, in the future. Um, as a whole, though, I guess is yeah. So you talked about the things that we put on our body, the things we put in our body. But I mean, even down to you said it a little bit. People didn't have houses, you know. So literally everything in this house, like there's a lot of effects that are happening from like the paint that's on the walls to like the different materials that things are made out of. Mm -hmm. We you had said it last week inside of homes and buildings is actually astronomically more of a toxic environment and just a heavy load upon our systems than just walking outside the door. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because of how we live now, that's just part of our, I guess, part of culture, part of the lifestyle that we've adopted. We have to try to, because we're not saying everybody go move out to the pasture. No. Right. No. Not saying leave cities. That's, that would be dumb to say that. Um, but we're saying because when people didn't have all these diseases, this is how they live. They weren't exposed to this stuff. We need to work really hard right. at trying to minimize the amount that's coming in our body and then maximize our body's ability to get rid of those things. Yeah. So there's, it's a kind of two part, two part thing there. And the other things that we talked about are what maximizes are the body's ability to get rid of get rid of that toxicity. And this starts immediately. This is, again, out of the same book. This is a study um, Washington State did. They said they found 200 industrialized chemicals in the maternal blood of pregnant humans. So in the blood of a pregnant woman that's going to get passed on to um, the baby, there's over 200 industrialized chemicals. So baby before they're even born is already mm -hmm. toxic. Yeah. And then now we throw food at it that's toxic. We throw um, medications at it that's toxic. We throw the environment that's toxic. We put it in a, um, a house that's toxic. There's just toxicity everywhere. So we have to try to minimize this as much as we possibly can. So what does that look like? Is that what you're asking? Well, not necessarily because I think <laughs> I think that can go real deep real fast. All right, but just some general things, right? Yeah. What are we putting in our body as far as food, right? Getting things more organic, getting yeah. things less chemicalized less with hormones, less with um, antibiotics, then it's like, what are we putting on our body? Are, okay, so I'm not, we're not saying don't wear makeup. We're not saying don't wear hairspray. We're not saying don't wear, you know, use toothpaste. We're saying, can we figure out how to make lateral shifts to, to places, to companies that have said, hey, 
I have seen how toxic people are. I want to do something about that. And now I've developed a great product to try to, so that people can still use these things and do these things, but they're going to be less toxic for you. Yeah. You said it a minute ago, and I think it's really the big theme of most everything we're going to be saying. It's not that we think we're in this such a terrible place and we've gotten to do so many bad things. It's like life and kind of progression and these new developments in technology and industrialization, like so much good stuff has happened over, you know, especially the past, I'd say 50 years. But because of it, we have to be so intentional about some of these things, some of these negative effects that have come from these things. And I think that's kind of, that's the underlying statement here is we're no longer in a place where what's regular, what's normal is what's good for our bodies. And so we have to be extremely intentional about doing something different than what has kind of naturally developed. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning is people just think that it's, <clears throat> it's not our responsibility to be healthy. It's health happens to us, right? We catch disease and then therefore we have to go to an expert that can then treat that disease or manage that disease. So when we're not thinking about something like a toxicity or the importance of community or all the other things we looked at, and then we get sick, then we have, we have nothing to turn to. We're like, okay, well, I don't know why I'm sick. I better go to the doctor to see if he can help me. Instead of saying, well, let's look at how humans have lived for so long and never got sick. And maybe I should do more of that. Yeah. Maybe I should move in that direction. And uh, again, we're, we're trying to promote uh, a kind of a, a better lifestyle for people so that they can have a better chance of flourishing and avoiding all these disease and honoring God with their body. And we're not saying that if we do this, that it's going to eliminate every single disease that's out there, that nobody's ever going to get sick. If we do this, we don't think we have that much control, but I think it's going to minimize that. Right. And when you look at health, if you see health as the, the definition of health being homeostatic self-function, proper self-function, if you're very sick and you start walking every day, you have, improve the function of your body. So that means you have now become healthy. You still might have diabetes. You still might have cancer. You still might have an autoimmune disease, but that's not the definition of health. The definition of health is are your cells functioning properly? So if you move closer in that direction, you have become healthier. It's not because your symptoms gone that you're healthier. You could have a symptom that's gone and be completely sick and moving towards more and more sickness because you haven't addressed cell function. Yeah. So that's what all these things are saying. We want to get back to how humans used to live because we know that that's what's going to allow our functions to function the best and that we can be the healthiest and thrive. Boom. Do you want to uh, tease next week? Because I feel like that's really coming mostly from your idea right here. Oh, yeah. Um, so now that we've just laid out kind of what we feel like humans, how they lived when they were the healthiest. We want to, I guess, kind of bridge the gap because we're not in that state anymore, right? We're not, um, you know, living in in houses that we built and going hunting for our food and and all those different things. So I I think there can be an understanding of what we're saying is we just need to go back to that fully. What we're trying to say is, no, we still need to live in the, I guess, the culture that we're in, but we need to figure out how to best adapt to that and live as, as close to how they used to live as possible. So we still need healthcare, right? We still need doctors. We still need um, drugs. We still need surgeries. We still need all of that. So what we're going to talk about next week is we feel like there's three different forms of healthcare that you actually need in order to be healthy and, and, and thrive again, live like the humans used to live where they didn't have any healthcare, yeah. a lot of them, right? But now we do. And we want to take advantage of it because it is brilliant and it has saved a lot of lives. So those that when I talked about, you know, people that were talking about this hunter gatherer people, I think that the life expectancy for them was 50. So only about 20% of them lived over 60, but it wasn't because they were sick. It was because they got killed Mm. um, or they died of infection. So we've done some amazing things to stop that. So we want to utilize that obviously with who we are now and, and when we live. But we have to have a better understanding of 
yeah. when the right time to use the different forms of healthcare. So we're going to lay that out, the three different forms of healthcare. Word. There it is. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you are listening, we would love to hear from you. Give us feedback. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, leave a review. Uh, subscribe on Facebook. We're everywhere. Facebook, or it's not Facebook. I meant YouTube. Uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Let us know uh, what you think. We got a couple good questions here from Instagram this week. That was awesome. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want this to be as helpful and practical as possible. We also want to say if you feel like you have some expertise in any area when it comes to health, yeah. we want to get you on. We want to talk to you about it. We want to interview. We want to learn from you. And we know that's going to help other people. So definitely let us know that too. For sure. Bam. Bam.